I want to thank all of you because I think women and Republican are two words that go together very well. And there are a lot of women Republicans across this country. There are a lot of women independents who vote Republican, which is how somebody like, like me gets elected. And those are the women I think we really need to touch in 2012. And I think we, we have and we do and the policies that we brought forward in terms of jobs and creation and economic sanity and fiscal responsibility are the things that women sit down at their kitchen table and try to figure out every day. There's a lot of women like me. I'm a brand new, I'm a sort of brand new grandmother, but I'm also taking care of my parents at the same time. And we're getting squeezed like nobody's business trying to figure out how to serve all the different people in our lives. And this is, I think, what Republicans need to really emphasize or look at when we're thinking about how we're going to formulate policies that really hit that middle America woman and family uh, because the women are the decision makers. So with that, uh, I didn't want to give that, that young lady I, I met at the, uh, the tennis thing that long explanation, but I think that is a good explanation on why women and a woman and Republican are two words that match together very well. So I, I'm the job of introducing, uh, and, I, and I don't need to introduce any of them, but I'm going to start with Sue Myrick, who is a, a wonderful uh, representative, as you know, from North Carolina. Uh, she's on the Intelligence Committee and on the Energy and Commerce, and she's the chairman of the subcommittee. I, didn't, I read the notes, but I don't and um, she's the former mayor of Charlotte, uh, North Carolina, and she's been, uh, for me, coming up, she started in 1994, correct? And so uh, she helped me quite a bit when I began uh, Hitch Brown running in 2006. Sue, your first I'd like to introduce Sue Mike. I know we've got microphones. Can you all hear us okay? <clears throat> I, first of all, I want to thank you all for coming and, and supporting everybody because it does make a great big difference. There's no question about that. And I was asked to talk about what it's like to be um, the Vice Chairman of the Energy and Commerce Committee and then about the glass ceiling. And it's interesting because um, as far as being the Vice Chairman of the Energy and Commerce Committee, it's just a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, we'll kind of leave it there. <laughs> But, you know, Shelley hit on a lot of the points that a lot of us um, feel very strongly about and get uh, a little frustrated because of the way people talk about Republican women, like we're something different, you know. And all of us have families and literally, I mean, we deal with everything everybody else does. And I think most of us have gotten here pretty much by sheer determination of the fact that, you know, we think we can do the job better than anybody else. I started in local politics that way, and just simply, we had a situation with the city of Charlotte, and it was affecting our life. And I had not, I mean, I voted, but I had not paid any attention to politics before that. And so, uh, at that point, they were looking for a Republican woman to run citywide um, for city council because uh, there had not been any. And so my family just said, you know, you can do that as good as anybody else. Why don't you run? And so I volunteered with no money, no experience, no, I mean, no anything, literally, you know. We were a ragtag team. But I got involved from the grassroots, and I think that's how a lot of us start, actually, is, is being involved at a local level or a state level. And that's what, if you look at most of the women who are in Congress, I think probably the majority of them have served at some point in another office. You 
didn't just run for Congress because today it's so difficult. And I would <coughs> say, when you talk about a glass ceiling for women today, when you're running for Congress, that glass ceiling usually is money because women have a, a tougher time um, starting out raising money. And that's why we always try to nurture women to run <coughs> for local offices, you know, whether it be a city council or a county commission or a state house seat or something, but something where they can be school board, um, where they can get involved and start to build a reputation and, and get involved in the community and then have a base to work from if they decide they want to move on. And a lot of women are afraid to do that because they just, you know, it's just kind of this stigma that still exists out there that there is this glass ceiling. And I will say, in my opinion, in business, there still is a glass ceiling for a lot of women because it's hard for some of them to move up that ladder. But I don't feel that way in Congress and in politics in the sense that, you know, we all, most of us anyway, feel literally that we're as qualified as the next guy. And when I first started out, I used to, no offense to you guys, but I used to just, you know, have somebody who was beating up or you had a cup of phone or what, and I think, you know, they just get up and put on their pants one leg at a time every day. They're no different than anybody else, you know, no different than we are. And, and, and try and um, accept the fact that, you know, you're operating in what has been uh, a man's world, but I don't think it is anymore today. And especially here in Congress, I think most, I know when I came, uh, I was in that Republican Revolution, as they called it at the time. Um, and Newt Gingrich was very, very, very welcoming to all of us who were women. I mean, he really just pushed us up front and literally helped in a lot of ways for us to feel comfortable in operating in the process. And he put us on committees, you know, that sometimes women aren't normally put on committees, that kind of thing. So to Newt's credit, he did a great job with that. And that really helped a lot of us to, you know, find our bearings um, as we were starting into the job. But it, there still aren't enough women committee chairmen, of course. I mean, you know, we talk about when committees and things are set up, it's all white males and not men. And I'm talking about other committee type things, you know, not just our committees in Congress. And so we all work hard at trying to um, push that envelope, I guess you'd say, to get more women out there and support one another. And with the new classes come in, they are great. I mean, they, and they've jumped right in with both feet, and they don't hesitate to speak up. I mean, I love it. They're really, there's none of that, um, I've never been here before, so I don't know what to do, man. I mean, <laughs> so it's wonderful. I mean, we've got a great group of women, and they're going to be really good mentors for the other folks at home. So I would just encourage all of you to really and truly, you know, look for people that you know in the areas you're from that you think would be good candidates and help nurture them and mentor them and get them involved on a local level so we can have a farm team because we really haven't had uh, what you would call a good farm team of women, in my opinion, you know, for years in the Republican Party, and we need to do more of that. Thank you. I neglected to thank my good friend Jim Collins for this great assignment of the Ribbon Society, which was a clue on the New York Times um, crossword puzzle you used to suck at Puzzle two weeks ago where the GOP was cloud about. No, but now I know. Thanks for today's no introduction. Joanne Emerson has been a very uh, a great friend to me. Uh, I came to see her the very first when I was first beginning to run. We had a mutual friend, actually my sister-in-law, 
My nephew was dating her daughter. How about that? <laughs> and so she couldn't say no <laughs> uh, to let me in. But uh, Joanne is obviously a, a great leader. She's on appropriations. And uh, thanks for joining us today. So I'm going to shorten my introductions because I want to give everyone a time. Oh, thank, yeah. you. thank you all. And I love let me say a couple things. Number one, thank you to the guys who are here today. We really appreciate your being here. And I, I'm really excited that we have so many of the young female staffers from our, my office, but also from, from others. Y'all are the next generation, and, and hopefully you all can follow in our footsteps, although some days I wonder why you want to. <laughs> I mean, it's just, you know, it just depends on, on what day of the week it is, but what, we, couldn't, we couldn't do what we do. Without, without our staff. And but after, I, after winning the first time, I knew that I had to prove myself. And, and one of the things that I think has made all of us as females successful, and we do all either chair of subcommittees or are vice chairman of a, of a big committee, uh, is that I think that we probably work a lot harder than the men. And I, I hate to say that, but I, I know that that's one of the things that has surprised me. Uh, being in press conferences with some of our male colleagues and, and knowing all the details of what it is I'm going to talk about, but nobody else, you know, you can talk rhetoric, but then when you get asked the tough questions, who comes up? Us. <laughs> to, to describe the bill, but that's all right. But that, that at least gets us noticed, I suppose, maybe not in a good sense. <laughs> Sometimes, but, but the bottom line is, is I think that, that all of us work very, very hard. Um, I do, I do want to attribute my position on appropriations to Newt Gingrich. I will say, though, he wanted a token pro-life Republican <laughs> on, on appropriations. Ann Northrup was there. Ann Northrup, so, 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 then, so then I got, so then I got appointed and Kay got appointed. But, but uh, the Republicans didn't have women on appropriations until that time. And he had asked me in my first term, do I want to be on appropriations? And I couldn't do that because I had promised my constituents that I would carry on and I would learn ag policy and I would learn transportation pro policy. And actually, it was quite helpful because back in the days when you had earmarks and we were writing a highway bill, actually got a lot of four-lane highways authorized and, and the funding began then once we I got on appropriations. It was terrific. Uh, and so I, 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 I appreciate that, but you all know how it works. So, uh, those days are long gone and I'm really sad about it. But, but, uh, but it's, it's kind of fun. I think I, I do think, though, that being, for whatever reason, being a chair of, of subcommittee on appropriations, it is a lot of work, and you know, being the ranking member, I, I did a lot of work, but nothing, nothing like chairing these subcommittees and and knowing every little detail of all these programs. But the amazing thing is how much you learn, and how much I even didn't know as a ranking member, uh, what goes on in, in some of the agencies and, and departments of, of our government. But it has uh, so Kay and I at least you know we are two appropriations subcommittee chairs and I aim to make sure we stay that way for, for next year but we're going to need your help uh, because you know I think we'll have some challenges in the next election I, I'm hopeful that we'll have some good female candidates I think it's really important obviously with the younger generation there doesn't seem to be any kind of difference of some of the older guys who just can't quite get used to the women but, but we're, we're making a lot of progress and 
And I, I'm very, very optimistic, at least as far as, as finding uh, good candidates. And I do love the new women. They are very funny. And uh, it's interesting, as Shelley says, though, to see the transition and how you've had to adjust your life. It's, it's a tough life when you have little kids. Heather, I don't know how the heck you did it. Very <laughs> well. <laughs> oh, I would love to have a wife. <laughs> I would love to have a wife. But anyway, um, you know, it would be, that would be, you know, the answer to my prayers. But, uh, but thank you. Thank you all so much for participating and, and being interested uh, in, in what we do. It is exciting to have to have more females, and I and it's and it's I and I have noticed just as an aside that the Democratic females have tempered down a little bit as we ride. We get more women on the Republican side, and they don't conga line quite as much as they as they used to. <laughs> <laughs> conga line, you know, get up and ask unanimous consent for this or that, um, you know. But we now have a strength in numbers ourselves, so it's it's been a real interesting. Transition and, and it certainly makes it a lot more fun up here. So thanks very much. I think one, and I think the last comment that Joanne made, I'll just say quickly. Uh, I've definitely noticed that, and I think part of it is attributed to the fact that they lost women this last time, the very first time, and uh, I think it kind of threw a threw them back uh, a, a lot. Uh, our next uh, presenter is uh, also needs no introduction. Kate Ranger, she's wonderful. She's been great. She's a, a real role model for a lot of us. And uh, I think uh, she's known uh, for her uh, foreign affairs and, and our uh, intelligence and counterterrorism. She's great on TV. And, uh, and if she can survive as a woman in a Republican male Texas delegation, wow. <laughs> <laughs> And she's also a mother and grandmother, but uh, she has wonderful insight into this Kay, grew her own business and raised her family all on her own. So uh, we admire you, Kay. Thank you. Thank you. Like Sue did uh, from the position of city council and mayor. And in Texas, that's a nonpartisan uh, position. And I had a for Texas. Uh, was exactly half and half Democrat and Republican, and so coming in as the first woman mayor or a mayor at all, you weren't going to use partisan politics in any way because you had to keep everyone together. And so I was in my third term as mayor when Pete Guerin, my good friend who was the congressman, um, called and said, Kay, I've been trying to reach you. I'm going to have a press conference and announce I'm not going to run again, and you need to do that. And I said, well, Pete, you know, uh, you're, you've been great, and I tried to talk to him today. And I said, Pete, if I run, I'll run as a Republican. He said, oh, I know that. I know that. I'll help you get elected. <laughs> so I thought, well, he's confused. That's <laughs> <laughs> so I had four days, four days to decide whether I do this. And I announced it in, in uh, by our city charter. When you announce, if you're mayor, if you even talk to someone about running for another office, you have to resign. So I had a press conference. I resigned as mayor. Announced for Congress, and I remember the next day the headline was, "Say it isn't so, Kay. You're too nice to be a Republican." <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be one hard election, <laughs> and it was surprising because all the all the uh, 
programs I started as mayor and all the city work, when I called people together, I looked around the room and I said, where are those people? But they were not Republicans. And so I've spent a lot of time uh, in Congress trying to encourage women to run and for us all to get together. And we all help each other, believe me. Um, but as you, as you were talking about, Joanne, about the money, Joanne and I came to the same class in North. When I ran for mayor and was elected, it cost, I raised $100,000. That's what it cost. A city of 740,000 people, and it was $100,000. Then when I announced I was going to run for Congress, I said, what's it going to cost? I asked that question after I announced <laughs> and said a million dollars. I thought, I'll never raise a million dollars. How can I raise a million dollars? And we didn't have anything called PACs or like that. And there are women in this room that were amazingly helpful uh, and stepped forward and said, we'll help you do that. I've never met them. Um, and they just came and said, we'll introduce you to these groups and whatever. And so, so there really was a lot of encouragement. And we were encouraged by other members. Nancy Johnson's here. And what a great help she was. <laughs> Other, but it is a unique situation. We've all talked about Newt, but um, it was. He was said immediately, we're going to put women in the chair, we're going to put women on committees, and he did. It said, you would be a good appropriator, and so, Joanne, you went in as a freshman. No, as a sophomore. As a sophomore. I went as a sophomore, but you went in a day ahead of me. Yeah, that I know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> she's right, she'll let me go. But he didn't do that. And, and let me tell you, of course, in this next election, the independents, you know, we talked a lot about our base as Republicans. Well, what happened with us is we got those independents, and it's a different definition, independents saying they vote the split ticket, but they came with us on the national elections. And we have got to keep them to do that, and the majority of them are women. And so to, for us to speak to women is just incredibly important. And one of the things that I just, I just feel like I'm the old nudge all the time um, of saying, I said, when you talk to women, you don't just talk education and child care. You talk workforce issues and tax issues and all the areas. making the majority of the decisions. We make them in our family. We are the sandwich generation. I took care of my mother and my children uh, when they were little tiny. And, and um, so we do make those decisions and we also run businesses. And I started my, my, my story as a businesswoman is really most women entrepreneur story. We start our businesses from our savings or from a, uh, a credit card. Because uh, we don't have a lot of money, and so we do it that way. We start. I started my business in my living room with with twenty five hundred dollars because no one would lend me any money. Uh, in fact, one baker I went to said, "Honey, you just need to get married." <laughs> every time, every time I did something, I sent that banker a note and said, "Hey, by the way, I'm still not married, but I just won this award." Or this <laughs> but it's true, and so we really need to keep that in mind. And the more women, every time we have a press conference or we do something or a bill, we've got to have the women. And now we've got more of us. It's been so few of us that we were so, spread so thin 
that it was often difficult for us to make everything, but we really had to keep that in mind that 52% of the workforce is women, and 52%, sometimes 53% of the vote is women, and so that's just extremely important in what we're going to do. And we've got such a great mix of women now, and Heather Wilson, of course, with her military background, is, was such a force in the Congress will be such a force in the Senate, so we have to encourage. I'm embarrassed to say, and I, I failed terribly, because I am the only Texas Republican woman still in my delegation. That was true when I ran the first time. I didn't have any idea. I never had a woman from Texas, a Republican woman, serve in the House. And today I'm still, so I'm still encouraging women. We have so many women in Texas that are county commissioners, or mayors, or city council. But it's just a big jump, not just the money, but that's part of it, but to be away from families that do all that we do where we, you know, get on a plane and fly up on a, usually on a Monday and come home and straggle home some Thursday or Friday. And it's still difficult, particularly uh, with women uh, and, and children at home. So that's something that we have to recognize. Again, I'll give a lot of credit to all the women, women members, women staffers, all that helped because you really have been very encouraging to all of us uh, who serve. Nancy, I, I didn't see you back there. I would have uh, introduced you. She, she was uh, here when I began and was she flew in a snowstorm uh, and landed in Charleston, West Virginia to help me one time. So that's the kind of sacrifice she is willing to make. If you've ever flown into Charleston, yeah. 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 And she had a big bright smile on her face. Um, I really miss Heather Wilson. Uh, you probably don't know this. I feel this way. But uh, she was really one of my closest friends as we over the eight years that we served together, and you would think, well, that's an odd match because Shelly's a slapsticker and Heather's pretty serious. <laughs> you know, underneath that little serious exterior there, you can get her going and she can, uh, uh, she can laugh it up with the rest of us. Uh, I did see her, and I won't quote what she said, lay Tom DeLay very low one day, and I'm like, wow, I'm not messing with her. <laughs> but anyway, she's going to be a great senator. She's a great uh, leader in uh, national defense. She obviously, you all know her, her educational history, but she was a, a pioneer uh, in terms of uh, women in, at the uh, United States Air Force Academy, and uh, a Rhodes Scholar, uh, so she's a lot smarter than me, I know that, and that's, that's why I relied on her quite a bit, but when she got up to speak on the floor, at the place, everybody was, and so we need that kind of leadership, so Heather, I'm glad you're here with us today. Thank you for doing this, Nancy. Thank you for being here. Thank all of you for supporting the society. It is true that I am a, a third generation Air Force, actually. And if I think about that with the invention of the airplane, that's a little hard to do. But my, my, uh, my grandfather was a pilot in the First World War. He was uh, in the First World War, and then there were no jobs to be had in Scotland, so he came to America to build a, to build a better life. My, he flew in the Second World War, and my father, in 1943, at the age of 13, started to fly. And he couldn't, he wasn't tall enough to lie about his age to get into the Second World War, but he went into, went into the Air Force after high school, was a, was a crew chief, and then he came back, uh, got, out of the, got out of the Air Force, came back, 
married my mother and taught my mom how to fly. <laughs> and, and, uh, and together, um, they rebuilt airplanes, and my mom was a nurse. We lived in this 1,600-square-foot house with two bedrooms, and I had two brothers. And we had a den, and the den was supposed to be my bedroom, but I was in the bedroom with my brothers because my dad was building an experimental open cockpit by the house. Which says something about my mother. A very tolerant woman. But I, when I say I grew up around aviation, I really uh, surrounded by aviation. And uh, when I was a junior in high school, they opened the Air Force Academy the generation before us in the United States Congress in 1976 chose to change the law and open the pathway to service to young women. And I looked at that and I thought, well, oh, that sounds kind of interesting. My dad had died when I was young, but I went to see my grandpa. Now, he's a pretty tough guy. And he had two sons, five grandsons, and me. <laughs> and I told him I was thinking about going to this cat. He got real quiet. He said, well, I flew with some women in World War II who were ferrying airplanes. And they were pretty good pilots, so I guess I'd be okay. <laughs> I think my, I, then I, I got on a bus, a one-way ticket to Colorado Springs, and you go up there and get off the bus, and all of you have ever served in the military, they start yelling at you, and you stand on the exit, don't push this way and that way. So I did all those things. They tell you, you turn right, and you march up through this wonderful arch at the base of the Rampart Range of the Rocky Mountains, the United States Air Force Academy, with that chapel up behind it, and there are these words written across the top, bring me men. <laughs> <laughs> of course, at the time, you know, all my, my women classmates and I, I mean, we thought that was a pretty good idea. I went there and signed my name and my room number. <laughs> so I served at the Air Force Academy. My, my message in telling you that story is something that these women have said, that we have an obligation to the next generation to make sure the doors are open and that the encouragement is there to climb the ladder. We don't pull the ladder up behind us. So keeping those, those doors open to other young women. The other thing I would say is that, as a candidate is there is an element of toughness. If you're, you know, a lot of women don't want to run because you know, there's a mental health diagnosis for this. There really is. <laughs> and you have to, I, I served and ran, uh, ran for Congress in 1998 in a special election. Um, my opponent was from a very wealthy, very uh, well-off, uh, very well-known philanthropic family, and it was an awful, bashing race. Uh, it's, it was a swing district, and still is, uh, for 10 years. I never had a break. And at the end of that, that guy ran in that first election, spent $7 million to get a $135,000 job. And I don't, my husband said, no, he offered me half. <laughs> And, uh, and uh, we have three children. We have one adopted son who's an adult and two, two other children who are teenagers. So they're, they're encouraged. They think they get too much supervision. So they're encouraged <laughs> to do that in public life. But our oldest son, our, our adult son, then, when that, when that election was over, he was probably in his late 20s at that time, you know, just a blood fight right down, knife fight right down at the end. And it was all over, and he looked at me and he said, you know, you are one tough mother. <laughs>